0: Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 468. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Larissa Maloney is a former professional beach volleyball player and owns an online fitness and wellness company that serves both homeschool and brick and mortar school families. Active Kids 2.0 specializes in kids' classes, boxing, karate, yoga, cheer, gymnastics, ballet, jazz, hip hop, dance, toddler time, strength, cardio, and many more. She's a kid fitness equality advocate, as well as a mental health and human rights advocate. So Larissa reached out to me via Instagram. And she said, hey, I would love to come on your show and do a little hashtag share the mic together and talk about what I'm doing with this business I'm building in quarantine and also talk about race. And I said, yes, let's do it. And holy cow, Larissa was so thoughtful and generous in the way that she showed up for this conversation. And just everything that she brought to the table. I want to give you a little content warning that there is the use of the N-word in here. And I wanted to just make sure that something that's on your radar, if you have small ears in the room or people who might not understand the use of that word or the meaning of that word, or if that word might be especially triggering to you as a listener. So I'm putting that out there now. Larissa explains uses that word to share some of her own experiences of enduring really traumatic and dramatic racism. I'm so, so grateful for Larissa for sharing her stories, her time and her energy today because she went deep. She got really vulnerable. And like I said to her when we were done recording, I said, I'm so grateful. I know that sharing these stories creates a lot of pain. Also, I know that sharing these stories will create impact. And so I hope you listen. I hope you listen carefully. I hope you listen more than once. I'm very, very honored that we got to have this conversation in the Shameless Mom Academy. So listening to hear Larissa share how she is stepping up to hashtag share the mic during this cultural revolution, the specific steps she's taking to take care of herself as a black female leader, advocate, and mom during this time, how she has experienced racism throughout her life, often as the only black child and young woman in white spaces, what microaggressions are and the ones she has experienced repeatedly. The deeply painful experience she had as a college freshman experiencing loud and blatant racism without any allies supporting her. The specific steps that you can take to be a better ally. The debate she's been having with other moms about anxiety and motherhood, especially as it relates to parenting white kids versus black kids and the super successful company that she built in a pandemic to keep kids active in the most fun and engaging ways. This is an amazing conversation. I'm so looking forward to sharing it with you. I know that you're gonna learn a lot, I know that you're going to get a little uncomfortable, which I think is necessary right now. And we're going to end it with a great high on a high note around some really great fun ways that you can keep your kids active during this time that Vinny and I are going to be doing. I can't wait for you to hear that piece. So with all that said, let's welcome Larissa Maloney to the Shameless Mom Academy. Larissa, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm super excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I have to tell people how we met. I always love giving this like behind the scenes context. (laughs) And you're someone who reached out to me and you came, you messaged me on Instagram. And you were like, Hey, what do you think about sharing the mic? hashtag share the mic. And here's what I want to talk about. And here's how I'm qualified and worthy. And let's go and (laughs) nobody sends like people do not send me these kinds of messages. Like I want these kinds of messages. I love this is what leadership looks like. And this is what I think that women in leadership look like. And this is total CEO behavior. And I want to see more of it. So I was like, we have to start with this that that's how this conversation came to be because you were just like, here I am, we need to have a conversation. Let's go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I saw it through Instagram as well. And I was like, this is an amazing concept. I need to be a part of it. I need to start telling my experience, and you know, making my voice
0: heard. So that's exactly why I reached out to you. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And it's been great. And what was fun is that like, as soon as you told me what you wanted to talk about, I was like, yes, yes. And all of that. I mean, it was just, (laughs) I think that sometimes we get tripped up, we get in our own way and we think, well, I don't know. And they're, what if this person's busy or they have all their content planned or they don't talk about this thing. And the reality is like so many women want to make space for other women and especially women who are different than them and have different world perspectives and stories and backgrounds. And so it's really fun and exciting and very educational and really crucial right now that we are coming together to have these kinds of conversations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, now is the time if there was, you know, no other time, now is exactly the time to start coming together and, you know, using both of our voices to uh, voice our opinions and tell about our experiences with definitely importantly right now, uh, racism in America. So
0: absolutely, absolutely. So was it seeing this movement on Instagram that inspired you to reach out? Or was there something in particular beyond that or anything that you want to say about that?
1: Yeah, I believe it was a combination of both. I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Love her, right? (laughs) On her podcast, she mentioned it and I saw it on her Instagram page. And I said, What an amazing idea. And I thought I'd come on board and not just that, but all of the horrible circumstances, murders, and of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, all of that has put me at a crossroad. And I have had a lot of feelings, and I have been discovering that these feelings that I have need to come out in some way. So I've been doing a couple of things to get them out in a constructive way. And this has been one of them.
0: Oh my gosh, that's really powerful and beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that. There's a lot of vulnerability within that. And so I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. So along those lines, how are you taking care of yourself right now? You actually said like taking specific, thoughtful, intentional steps. How are you taking care of yourself as you juggle the roles and responsibilities of showing up as a black woman and a leader and a human rights advocate during this cultural revolution on top of like being a mom and living in a pandemic and like <laughs> so many layers. I'm telling you,
1: and that is so funny. And it is so many layers. Literally, it is a day out of time. It's kind of like if you've ever been through a grief process, it's been exactly that for me. I've gone through so many emotions of anger, anxiety, sadness, depression thrown in there, all of that. And I've had to find a way to deal with it. And like I said before, it has been really waking up and doing things with intention Making sure I'm, you know, trying to be present in the moment, which is super important. When I wake up, I have to meditate. And we kind of throw around the word meditate a lot, but it has become, you know, a daily ritual for me in order to clear my head for the day and get ready for the day. And it's anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes, as much as I can get in with two crazy little kitties running around, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I get that meditation in. I'm very structured. So I do have a to do list for the day. And that is part of that routine. So making sure I do meditate and making sure I'm getting through what I need to get through for the day and being present within those things. And I always have to, it sounds funny, but I have to put my little kitties on that to do list. And that might sound funny, but I do because I want to make sure I carve out time for them specifically. And within that time, I don't want to be thinking about anything else. You know, we have our businesses and we have everything else going on in the world. But at that time, spending time with my kids, that stuff can wait.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about, so your kids, you told me before we started recording, your kids are four and six. So I'm imagining when you are like in it with them, they don't allow you to like, you kind of have to be present because I'm imagining like they're right (laughs) on top of you.
2: (laughs) Oh my
1: goodness. I mean, they're right on top of me all day. (laughs) Like, let's be real, right? (laughs) We're all home. But yes, they are extremely active, extremely busy and extremely, they love mommy, they love daddy. So if we're giving them attention, they want 100% of that attention. (laughs) So yeah, and it's hard, but there are everything. So we have to
0: make time for those moments. Are they a distraction, like in the best way? (laughs) Yeah. A distraction and an escape. I mean, also a ton of work. I'm not denying that, (laughs) but I found that with my son, that like there's these, because things are big and heavy and hard and scary and unpredictable, that it is really refreshing to just step into his world, you know, every single day for a little while here between all the heavy, hard things. And absolutely, yeah, like I'm learning how to play Pokemon Go. And you know, I don't (laughs) love it, I'll be honest. But when I can see him get really excited about something, I'm like, okay, fine, we'll play some more Pokemon Go.
1: (laughs) Exactly. No, absolutely. And like, when I find myself like being like, in
0: serious mode, and
1: working business owner mode, like my kid will come in and tell some really, really like weird joke and it'll just be, you know, all the seriousness will go away and then we'll just crack up laughing and it's back to like mommy mode, like real, like, you know, fuzzy, real feel good type of stuff where you need that little distraction every now and then, you know?
3: Totally. I know that raising a Differently Wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
4: Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? So turning from the cuteness of kids, <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to talk a little bit about racism and dive into this a little bit with you. And can you tell us your experiences with racism and what this has looked like specifically for you? And I'll, I've been doing a lot of reading around this and learning around this and the spectrum and scope of how racism is experienced is so much bigger and broader than I thought. And like, of course, you know, my ignorance as a white woman is, you know, quite a lot more vast than I thought. So what does this look like for you? And I want to just kind of preface this with saying that it does look different for everyone. And I think that sometimes white people, white women think that black people experience racism in a universal monolithic way. And that's not true. Everyone experiences it differently. So with that big preamble, can you share your experiences with racism? Sure. So yes, I
1: have literally experienced, experienced racism my whole life. And it's horrible to say that and to come to terms with that. But that is the reality that we are living in. Growing up, my parents, hardworking people, you know, middle class, hardworking people. We, I grew up and I still live in Ormond Beach, Daytona Beach area, and that's in Florida. We were always the token black family at different types of events, at at going to friends' parties and birthdays and all of this stuff. We were that token black family of if a family were to be called racist, if a white family were to be called racist, they would say, nope, that's not true. I'm not racist. I am friends. I have a black family that I'm friends with. We were that black family. Growing up in school, hearing hearing the N-word, white friends was very common.
0: And were they saying it like, I'm assuming with ill intent and or was it just like casually thrown around?
1: It was very casually thrown around. Some was with ill intent. It was very casually thrown around, but in a way trying to make me feel comfortable. For example, of saying, you know, that black guy's a nigger, but you, you're okay. You're one of the nice ones.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a microaggression. I, I do like to talk about microaggressions because sometimes. I mean, that is obviously with ill intent, but sometimes when people say things, they're not necessarily trying to harm someone, but they are, you know, And that microaggression, that term comes from a Harvard professor called Dr. Pierce, and he coined that term in the 1970s. And it's pretty much uh, put downs of black people that white people use. And So that was a big one. I've heard, you're pretty for a black girl. And that sentence, the person saying that was thinking that they're giving me a compliment, thinking that I should say, oh, thank you. Wow, thank you. And not knowing that that's harmful. And that's a hurtful statement. And me being young, not knowing how to take that, you know, and... Why can't it just be you're pretty? Period. Right. Why did it always have to be you're pretty for a black girl? But that I've heard that over and over. So imagine as a young kid, you know, growing up to when you know kids thought girls were cute, you know, at that age, hearing that over and over and what that does to a young black girl's psyche. So, those type of things, your hair isn't like typical African-American hair, it's soft, it's like good hair. Mm. You know, you're so articulate. Or even, why do you talk like that? You're black, so why do you talk like that? You know, equating having education with being white. Right. So all of those types of microaggressions, I've heard really, really from a very, very young age, and I could even say about four or five years old.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. When you've endured all of that now for decades, and then there's this massive revolution that we're in right now. I'm wondering if there's like a sense of PTSD that comes up like all these little things that have happened over time. Now you're like re experiencing them. You are so right. Or have they just always been right below the surface that they've always just been right there?
1: They, you know, it's a little combination of both. They have been right below the surface and little things that happen bring them up. But yeah, it is. I like how you said that, PTSD, because now we are in a time where all of this is coming to light. And now as a 30 something year old, I look back at those things and I think, you know, how that has shaped me and how it has conditioned me into thinking certain things about myself about the black community about the white community so yeah it has it's made me think and you know as I do these share the mics it always brings up something new Mm -hmm. that I have to dive deeper in have you there's a video going around have you seen the video with a person a woman or a male they go back and forth but they're interviewing children with the doll with a white and black doll have you seen that
0: I feel like maybe I saw it like a month ago. Do they have the kids describe the doll? They describe them and they give them sentences
1: of which doll is the ugly doll. And you see most white children and black children pointing to the black doll. Which doll is the nice doll? And then you see them pointing to the white doll. Which doll is the pretty doll? And you see both black children and white children pointing to the white doll. And I saw that a long time ago, and I saw it probably a couple weeks ago again. And when you said that PTSD, that made me think when I was younger. And my mom, she bought me one time for Christmas, and I was young, she bought me a black doll. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And I never told her why at that time, But I was upset because I did not want that doll. Mm. That doll was not pretty. That doll was a bad doll. And that doll, I didn't want it because it wasn't white. Right. And that conditioning is beyond me thinking about it now.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is something that I intentionally will, or now, because my little one, she's four, that's something that I never want her to experience.
0: Right. I'm curious if there's a parallel between I know, as a woman, there's things that I have been dismissive of in my life, because easier to be like, whatever, and like to ignore it or just kind of blow past it. And then as I hear over time, and in my 40s, and I'm surrounded by more and more female leaders, I'm like, Oh, these things that I've been like dismissive of, and or just kind of ignored or whatever actually were a bigger deal than i thought and now i feel like i need to like process them differently because these were actually things that were inappropriate and sexist or damaging or dangerous or whatever but out of like a need to just protect myself and keep showing up for my life i didn't deal with them when they happened 10 years ago 20 years ago whatever and i'm wondering if that is true in some of your circumstances as well i mean i would imagine it would be even more traumatic to have a realization around that though You know what? Yeah, you hit the nail
1: on the head. Thinking back on certain experiences, especially, you know, now being, you know, grown up, being a mom, having my own business, looking back at some experiences that I had, and looking back at the way they were dealt with from, you know, whoever I had the experience with, I always, that thought comes into my mind a lot of I should have done this. I shouldn't have just brushed that off. Yeah, you know, I should have stood up for myself. I should have something. You know, there is always that. I should have done. I should have done. I should have done. So I've been going through that type of uh, yeah, those sentences
0: in my head a lot lately. And that's like a whole new layer of trauma, <laughs> having to. It is. And I think this is something I've talked about with other women of color that I've interviewed recently is, and you alluded to awakenings around this, that like, we're all having to show up for, you know, this weird, crazy pandemic life. And then for women of color, it's this processing of so much from so long from like an entire history of (laughs) existing as a black woman or child or women of color or a child of color. Like it's so much. And so it's not just like, oh, this is really sad and hard and must be dealt with That The police have murdered these people. It's like such a much bigger thing with so much more context on a grand scale and so much more nuance in very, very personal ways.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me give you a story. So my background is in sports. I grew up playing three sports, volleyball, basketball. And I ran track. I ended up going to college on a volleyball scholarship. And I ended up after college, I ended up on the pro tour for about four or five years. My first experience as a freshman in college wasn't great. When I got to college, I was 17. So I was the youngest, the youngest on the team. We had a team full of nine freshmen, which is kind of unheard of, but we did. We thought we ruled the team as nine freshmen. <laughs> but when I got there, I went to a school called Lynn University in Boca Raton. When I got there and met my teammates, I had one other teammate of color. She was biracial and not a big deal. I mean, in the volleyball world, especially in that time, there were very few black girls playing volleyball. But anyway, we, every season we have a preseason tournament in Alabama not necessarily in Alabama every year, but uh, my freshman year, it was in Alabama. So we're headed up there. This imagine, you know, being away the first time you're away from your family. Like, you know, how exciting that feeling is and, you know, being on your own and playing a sport that you love. I remember the bus ride and it was so fun, singing, you know, dancing, being silly, getting to know your teammates. As we... Get off of the road is 95 for Florida and going up to Alabama. As we get off the highway, we go down the Sturt Road. And as we get to the school, we park. And as soon as I and my other black teammate walk off the bus, we hear the word nigger, nigger. Wow. Over and over. And all of a sudden, I freeze I freeze. I, it felt like forever. I don't move. It was just in your face. I was scared. I was shocked. I was all of those feelings in one, you know, whatever, five, 10 second spurt. I get a slight nudge of go, keep walking. So I go, I keep walking in the gym. We go in. It's our turn to play, our turn to get on the court to warm up. The whole warm up, the whole time we're playing, all we hear is nigger, coon. Wow. All of these racial slurs. We get things thrown at us. I am a super competitive person slash athlete. Nothing takes me out of my game. That day, I could not think. I could not. I don't remember even passing a ball, hitting the ball, serving the ball of the net. All I heard were those voices of people yelling that stuff at me, directly at
0: me. Did your team or coaches respond in any way? No, unfortunately, no.
1: So in my mind, I was thinking, we're in the midst of a game. You're a coach, you know, you as a coach, you are you tell your players that you need to Hone in, you need to focus, who cares what people say, you know, you need to block that out. You need to focus on the task at hand as a coach, right? So during the timeouts, it was all about game plan, what we need to do. You know, I go out there, I can't focus. I don't know how I even stayed in the game at that point. But after the game, you would think that, you know, we would huddle together and we would have a chat about what actually took place, not about what happened in the game but there was absolutely nothing. So it was not just one game, it was a tournament. So we played multiple games. We had multiple, yeah, every game we were verbally abused. Nothing was said by my teammates. Nothing was said by my coaches. I was thinking, you know, maybe the coach, you know, has never dealt with this before. And maybe she needed some guidance from the admin or from the athletic director. So we go back to the school. And I'm thinking there's going to be a meeting called, something is going to happen. But unfortunately, no meeting was called, it was never talked about again. So that's the time, you know, when you say PTSD, and you think of I should have, would have, you know, could have, That's something that I always think in my head, you know, I should have said this, I should have stood up for myself, I should have, but in that time of being a 17-year-old just, you know, getting out of her parents' house, you know, you look up to those coaches, you look up to them as mentors, and you look up to them as, you know, people that should set that example, and unfortunately she did not. And unfortunately, the school and the admin did not and they didn't use that teachable moment as they should have.
0: Right. And in the process, like what a massive erosion of trust and inability to create a safe place for you. Absolutely. I would imagine that whether it was conscious or not, there was a piece of you that never felt safe there after that.
1: Oh, yeah. I felt
0: as if I was on my own. Yeah. Then, yeah, definitely. Holy cow. Thank you for sharing that experience. I, that is, and what year was that? Not that this excuses anything, but I think that this contextually is, or approximately. Yeah, it was 2003. Okay. So this is what I think is so interesting about stories like this. Because we think, well, but you know, back in 1962, or whatever, it's like, no, in the 2000s.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: This is not like way back when this is not when our grandparents were young. This is not that long ago, really. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's actually quite recent, and how absolutely horrifying and inappropriate. So in the lack of allyship demonstrated in that circumstance, I know that we all are being educated in so many ways on how to be better allies now. And I'm curious if I know that you have ideas around how people can be better allies. Do you think that your investment and advocacy in this area comes from that? Do you think it started then?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of those experiences that would definitely—I guess you want to say—raise that concern. I don't know what you would would want to say to that, but
0: right, right.
1: But yeah, those instances, you—I would have liked to have an ally in that situation, but. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And now that has made me start speaking up and start telling people how they can be an ally. And one of the things I always say is to speak up, is to speak Mm -hmm. up. And a lot of the times, if someone is in a situation and it is a racial issue and the black person is the only one speaking up for themselves, I've been called a black bitch so many times an angry black bitch at that because i'm speaking up and you know i'm standing up for myself but imagine if another white person would come in and you know defend that a black person we would be making leaps and bounds towards progression yeah so i always say start speaking up
0: mhm absolutely I'm willing to bet you'll be feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
3: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks.
2: You've come to the right place. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Any other steps? I'm curious. So I'll let you just finish. So what other
0: steps? What else can we do to be better allies? Where else do you want to see white women specifically, since that's going to be the most people listening to this? Where else do you want to see white women specifically and moms stepping up to be better allies?
1: Yeah, sure. First, it would be with education and starting to really do some research about the history of America and the history of slavery, looking at systematic racism and really seeing it for yourself. And if that's reading articles, if that's watching videos, I like to read as well. But I believe when I watch videos, I watch the BBC. BBC documentary um, a few weeks ago, and it really, really touched me. And it was absolutely horrible. It was talked about the KKK when it was at its peak. It had over 5 million members. There was at least one lynching a week of a black person. It showed footage of black people being lynched and white people gathering around as if they were at a football or soccer game. Cheering for the black person to be tortured and just tortured Those are the things that we need to see and it was so hard for me to see those things, but I needed to see that to, to Feel something to feel it and to make it personal and I feel like if people actually Hear these experiences and see them that maybe they'll start to take it personally and that will Give them the little kick to start to do something on their end. So, education is super important. And then, once you start educating yourself, you can start taking a whole bunch of other steps of talking to your immediate family around you, you know, the kids in your home, but also the, your immediate family and friends. I know a lot of white people have racist family members and they have a lot of racist friends and they don't speak up. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge issue. And it's one thing to be, I have a post on this. There's one thing to be non-racist, but there's another, you know, the way to go right now, you have to be vocally anti-racist to take some action. So yeah, educating yourself, speaking up, And then branching out and bringing that to your kids and bringing it to your friends and family.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate your recommendation around education through video, especially as you pointed out, it's more uncomfortable. And I think it's necessarily uncomfortable. We've been watching different things and there's totally a difference between reading and watching. And especially, you know, I know that I tend to attract super sensitive female type of people. And so where like many of my audience or much of my audience is very empathic and empathetic moms, and it is really hard to watch this stuff. And that does not let you off the hook to say like, Oh, but it's just too hard to watch like that is choosing to sit in your privilege. And that I believe is an act of racism. We are in the process of watching the docuseries When They See Us about the Central Park Five. Yeah. And it's absolutely one of those things where you're like, this is really hard to watch. I don't want to watch this. It's too hard. And that's exactly the reason that we are watching it. Yes. It's exceptionally uncomfortable and painful and so, so disgusting and maddening to see what happened to these, this group of five young teenage boys. But that's the responsibility of a white person right now to go learn about those things and to learn those really uncomfortable truths. So I want to just reiterate that discomfort around video. I think it's really important. And I want to call out the people who are not, who are choosing to opt out because I think that that's opting out of a really big responsibility right now.
1: Right. I mean, the same thing when you just mentioned when they see us and that just gave me chills because that documentary is, is so hard to watch. And you know, you said that, but I went through the same thing. This It was very, very hard to watch, but I had to watch it. I, you know, I had to know, you know, about my history and that, you know, the history of America. So we have to step out of our comfort zone and we have to do those things in order to progress.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think when you have, you know, when you go through those experiences of watching the really uncomfortable things, your commitment to truth telling just becomes exponentially greater. Because then when you do see something or hear something, you're so much more likely to speak up because your understanding is so much deeper and your understanding of how pervasive and how deep and how historical everything is and not like how deep and historical And also how still actively present so much of this is. And so your commitment to speaking up, I think it becomes it almost becomes automatic instead of like, well, should I or shouldn't I say something? You're like, oh, like there is no doubt something needs to be said because I know enough now to know the danger in not speaking up.
1: Absolutely.
0: Can you talk a little bit about raising anti-racist children?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is a... Obviously, or you said you have a, a lot of you know, mom listeners, and we're all moms, and we're all going through somewhat of the same stuff. I believe if you're a mom, you do have some sort of a tad bit of anxiety, probably, or a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I do. I know I do. Yeah, yeah. I've had a few debates with a few moms about this certain thing. I had someone post on Facebook a couple weeks ago. It was a little brown boy. He was singing about the struggles of a little black kid, a little black boy, and the things that he cannot do in this day and age. He cannot go for a job. He cannot go to the store and buy Skittles and iced tea. He cannot be, you know, sleeping in his car he cannot be all these things he went through and a friend of mine posted you know as a mom you know I feel this like I really really feel this and she had some backlash from other white moms saying you know I don't stand behind these words because all moms experience anxiety with you know their kids and not knowing their whereabouts and all of this stuff and she just was backing it up backing it up backing it up and I said yeah Of course, you know, all moms experience, you know, struggles, and we all experience anxiety with our kids of not knowing, you know, right now my kids are downstairs. I hope they're watching a movie, but who knows what they're doing, right? (laughs) (laughs) But there is one significant difference. My six-year-old, he is a little black boy, and he is sweet. He is athletic. He is smart. He is adorable. All of that. But one day, he will be a threat to society. And right now, the youngest black boy that has been shot, murdered, has been a seven-year-old. For me, that is is—it's hard to talk about because that gives my son a year until he is seen as a threat. Now... As a white mom, you could be struggling, you could have anxiety of when your kids are going out, but do you have anxiety when your kids are going out with the fact of, are your kids going to be murdered because of the color of their skin? That is the difference.
0: Right, there's a huge, huge difference. And to not make space for that, to honor that difference and see that difference is yeah, pretty horrifying.
1: Yeah. And it's so hard to come to terms with it. It's very, very hard. But like we said before, talking to your kids about racism is so, so, so important. And that word racism should not be a bad word in your house. Right. It should not be a bad word. It should be a word that you are using to educate your children. Like I said before, my little one, he's six and he is at the age, he just finished kindergarten and he is coming home talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and civil rights movement. And we're having those conversations and they're very open and it's no, you know, sit down. We're going to talk about racism right now. No, he's six. You know, that's I am saving his innocence as much as I can so but these conversations still need to be had so you know when we're talking about these things it's open and he's uh, super observant and he likes to learn new things and uh, I'll say but you know did you know this did you know this happened and well that'll open up to the Underground Railroad and that'll open up to other things so Having those conversations with your kids, it's so, so important. I know, like we said before, about even with the dolls, you know, diversifying your kids' toys is so important. And the TV shows and the movies that they watch and making sure they're uh, getting culture from every, you know, part of the world is super important, and that's super important in our house, especially. My husband is from England, so we travel to Europe quite often. And my kids know that, yeah, there's different parts of the world, and we travel to them, and we embrace them.
0: I want to thank you for everything you've said. You've shared some really important, but also very vulnerable stories. And I really deeply appreciate that. And before we move on to something a little lighter, (laughs) I just want to (laughs) really take a minute because I appreciate you going so deep and really letting us in. I think that you've given some really powerful, but also painful examples that I think will have deep impact. And so I'm just, I'm really, really thankful that you shared these stories with us because I think that it will shift some things in some minds of our listeners. I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about Active Kids 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Which I think I can already tell like your tone is like, yes, let's go there. So this will be a little bit lighter. But I'm also really excited about this piece of our conversation. Tell me about Active 2.0. What is it? How was it created? What inspired it and all the things? Man, yeah, yeah, my tone changes. Yeah, dramatically, right?
1: (laughs) Active Kids 2.0. It's my baby of a company. I am so passionate about it. Like I told you guys, I have a extremely athletic background. I come from an athletic family. My husband has an extremely athletic background. My kids are super active, crazy, wild. What else should they be at four and six, right?
0: Exactly.
1: So uh, I instruct personal fitness at a private school down the street. This is how it all started. I do a couple of classes for them. And when COVID, you know, hit us, we had a meeting and they said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. We're probably not going to go virtual or anything like that. But just in case, I just want to let you guys know, you know, it might happen. Not right now. It might. Literally. The next day, they emailed us and said, do not come in. (laughs) We're going virtual. So figure it out pretty much, right? figure it out. So I said, Oh, my goodness, like, what am I gonna do? Usually within my fitness classes, I i am um, super active, I do everything with my students, we have a good time, we learn a lot of stuff. And they're super engaged. So I was thinking I got home, I was like, uh, what am I gonna do? So I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff. I said, maybe like on a Monday, we'll do They'll, you know, do a little short little run. They'll give me the time. On a Tuesday, we'll do like arms and abs. Wednesday, we'll do something else, something else, something else. So I wrote it all down and I looked at it and I said, okay, this is horrible. Like, what is going on, Larissa? I crumbled it up. I threw it away. I knew my if I presented that to my kids, they would be like, no, like, coach, what are you doing? Seriously. So I threw that away. Mm. So my husband, he built a gym in our um, garage, and I said, you know what, I am going to make up the workout, just kind of like I do it in class, and I'm going to stream it on YouTube, I'm going to press play, and this is what I'm going to do. I told a few friends, and I said, hey, I'm doing this if you you know, need your kids to do something, I'm doing this, and they said, oh, okay, can I join? I said, yeah, absolutely, it's, this is the YouTube channel, and then... On the Monday, I pressed play, and they I had, about, I had about 40, 50 kids. Those kids joined, and I said, okay, good, good thing. And then all of a sudden, it just started growing, and it was 100 kids. Oh, my gosh. 200 kids, 300 kids. And then it went over 1,000 in the first airing, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> that is amazing. It was wild. It was completely wild. So I... Did that over, I think, yeah, about close to three months, and I ended up, yeah, working with over 50,000 families. Holy cow! Yeah, just by doing that. So it just blew up before my eyes, and I said, you know what, there's something to this. There is something to this. So I thought to myself, how can I be creative? Because the kids absolutely love it. I was shouting them out in videos, different schools, different students, and they were just loving it. And I said, how can I make this bigger than what it is? So I said, specialty classes. My kids are they my kid took karate. He absolutely loved it. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to start bringing in those specialty classes. I know kids will be drawn to it. So we offer now karate, boxing, ballet, jazz, hip hop, cheer, gymnastics, and of course, you know, toddler time. And then of course, my cardio and strength training as well, because I was doing that before. And yeah, it's all encompassing on my one online platform.
0: So I was went on your site a week ago, getting ready for this interview. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Like my child is signing up for this, by the way, I want everyone to go check it out. Because of the variety, I'm like, he is going to want to do the karate. I don't even know where we're starting. It's he's either going to pick the hip hop or karate to start with. I'm like predicting. But there's so many fun things on here.
1: I'm telling you, it really is. It's phenomenal. And I got really, really good coaches, too. And they're so engaging. And you know how I test them. I put my two little ones in front of the screen. And if they don't stay there for the whole, you know, 20 to 30 minute video, then I said, "Uh uh-uh, it's not going to work.
0: I love it. (laughs) So great. So how long are the? Are they like twenty to thirty minutes long?
1: Yeah, they're twenty to thirty minutes long. Yeah, we don't want to make it any longer than that.
0: Right, and it's also really, really affordable. Yes. So, what are the different options? So you can do it monthly. It's
1: nineteen dollars a month. Okay. Or you can do it yearly, and it's one hundred eighty nine dollars for the full year. I am giving your listeners a uh, coupon code for ten percent off. Ooh. Yes. Oh my gosh, so nice of you. Yeah, so it's shameless mom 10 and that would give you 10% off and that would be your subscription would be $17 a month.
0: Oh my gosh. Amazing. And you have a trial. Is it a 7-day trial? Yep, and there's a 7-day free trial. So you can go check like you can go to have try out the classes. Is it for kids then and grown-ups or just kids through teens? Is that right? Toddlers through teens?
1: You know, listen. Yeah, it was supposed to be for kids three to, we have have toddler time, so like two to three to 18, but it's really turned into active families because we, because we do yoga and I do those strength and cardio classes. So I
0: found that a lot of families, they just get that one membership and they do it all. Totally. I'm actually even imagining like doing the, I can't say this without laughing because (laughs) I'm a white girl, but doing the hip hop with Vinny. (laughs) I feel like he'd be so into it. I will be ridiculous, but that would be super fun. And the karate too. Like I would absolutely love to do that.
1: (laughs) I, okay, listen,
0: when you do that,
1: you have to video it and send it to me. Oh God.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. I'll video the karate. Okay. Okay. This is a person who I tried to teach myself how to do step aerobics in college. And I had made all my roommates. I lived with seven girls and I was like, you all have to leave the house. I'm closing the blinds. Like, No one is allowed to be anywhere on the same block as me while I'm trying to do. And that was step aerobics. Like the stakes were lower than hip hop. So. that is hilarious. That is good. Oh my gosh. So I want everyone to go check out the everything that you have over there. So it's at active and then the number two.com. And then we'll have that in the show notes. We'll link up shameless mom, 10, the discount code, which is so generous of you. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. I'm so excited. Thanks. Okay. So anything that you want to share with our moms before we let you go about how you are balancing following your passions, building out this dream platform, and taking care of yourself in a pandemic and cultural revolution?
1: A lot of wine. (laughs) Red wine, to be exact.
0: Yep. You're not the only one. You're not the only one.
1: Yeah. No, but seriously, no, yes, wine. But definitely making sure you're carving out time for yourself. My husband knows when I need that time. I think I've trained him well. He knows when he needs to give me an hour, you know, it, no, not an hour every day No, or yeah, that would be awesome, but, but no, but an hour, maybe, you know, every couple of days just to do your own thing. And if that's even just going to the grocery store by yourself, go ahead and live your best life in that grocery store, girl, you know, Yes. <laughs> yes. but taking that time out for yourself is so important. Totally.
0: Yeah. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Well, I mean, it might be the same answer.
1: Yes. Yeah. That and, you know, this, you know, doing these share the mics and speaking up and living life on purpose. Like, I know that I cannot take life for granted and, you know, living it on purpose every day, waking up and saying, all right, you know, we made it another day, so let's make it a good one.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. Oh my gosh, Larissa, this has been so amazing. What a powerful conversation. And I love that we got to end it with something really awesome and fun, and that I think will have so much benefit for so many families. The entire conversation will have so much benefit for so many families, but I want to see all the videos of the karate, the hip hop, all the things. So, can you tell people where they can find you and connect with you in Active Kids 2.0? Sure. Am I saying that right? Is it Active Kids 2.0?
1: No, exactly. You have it right. ActiveKids 2.0. You got it. So we are on Instagram. Our IG handle is ActiveKids 2.0. We're also on Facebook. Same thing, ActiveKids 2.0. When you join as a member, you actually get exclusive content. And we do have a private Facebook group. Ooh, fun. So that's a little perk. And you can also follow me on Instagram if you'd like, Larissa.Maloney. And our website, like you said before, is www.activekids2, the number two.com.
0: Perfect. Okay. So we'll have everything linked up in the show notes. If listeners go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Larissa Maloney, they'll get everything right there. This has been so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really grateful for the time and energy that you put into this conversation, especially the painful parts um, and the really vulnerable parts. You, I'm just incredibly grateful. Thanks
1: so much for having me.